Make your way, if you would, to Jonah chapter 1 this morning. Jonah chapter 1. Next week we are starting a new short series, but today I wanted to preach a message that was inspired by one of my mentors, a pastor by the name of Art Azurdia. He leads a church in Portland called Trinity Church. And much of my content is taken from what Pastor Art shared with his church family back in 2013. And I shared this message uh, at Thrive earlier this year. Thrive is our midweek Wednesday night ministry. And this was one of the favorites. And so today, in between these series, we had a campus pastor choice. And so I was looking forward to coming to this text. I shared with the staff, like, what, what ideas might you guys have? And, and they said, you got you to gotta preach that one on Jonah. And so we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1 and really simply look at 1 through 3, just three verses this morning. I'll begin reading. This is towards the end of your Old Testament, uh, one of the minor prophet books. This is what Jonah writes. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Before we dive in, would you take just a few moments and invite the Holy Spirit, invite God to speak to you through his word today. And then I will pray for all of us as we dive into this passage together. Father, we come to you this morning expectant expectant for you to speak to our hearts, to communicate to us your truth, to confront us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to equip us for all that you have called us to do. So Father, we ask that you would, in these moments, speak to us, that we would have eyes of faith and ears of faith, receiving what it is that you present to us through your word. And that we'd have the courage through the power of your spirit, Father, to then leave this place and live it out for your glory. Father, you are always at work. You are always doing so many things. And I know that many bring so many issues with them through these doors this morning. Hopes that feel hopeless. Dreams that seem shattered. Frustrations, issues. And Father, even in these moments, though, I pray that you would... Fill us, remind us of what Christ has done and the joy we have in him. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Christians everywhere are tempted to think of Jonah as nothing more than a myth, allegory, a fictitious tale that is great for kids' ministry and coloring books, with a nice little moral at the end of it. Let me begin by reminding all of us here today that this book was written as a historical account, events that happened in real time and real space. And yes, the story involves a great big fish that swallows a man for three days, a giant plant 
that grows overnight and a worm with a massive appetite. You might believe this is a story based in reality, but even if you do, most people don't really understand why the book was written in the first place because we are so preoccupied with how crazy it would be to be inside the stomach of a whale and then vomit it up onto the shore. We're so preoccupied with what kind of fish species this might be to make this story even remotely possible. So our mind just runs to the History Channel and and all of these other places that we think about this story and what it might mean for our lives. Well, since we are spending only one week here, I need to give you some background. So let me just teach for a moment, hang with me through this so I can get to these three verses and really bring them out and preach them to you today. We need to understand there are 17 books called the prophetic books in the Old Testament, 17 of them. They are divided into two sections. There are five that are called the major prophets and 12 that are called the minor prophets. And the word minor has nothing to do with their influence or significance. It has everything to do with how long it is. That's it. So the shorter of the 12 are considered minor and the longer are considered the major. Now, The 12 minor prophet books were bound up together before Jesus was ever born into one long scroll simply called the 12. And just like the other prophetic books, this book is not about the prophet whose name is on the book. It's not about Jonah per se, like Isaiah is not ultimately about Isaiah or Jeremiah is not ultimately about Jeremiah. This is a book about God. His compassion, his salvation, his patience, his mission. The confrontation of the book is not between Jonah and a whale. Uh, Maybe it will disappoint you, but I'm not even going to talk about the whale today. And the truth is, uh, by the way, the Jews had a word for whale. They had a Hebrew word for whale, and they didn't use it in this book. And so Jonah used a word for a great fish, which means it really wasn't a whale, but that's a whole other issue. I just want you to know. The confrontation here is not Jonah and a great fish. The confrontation is Jonah and God. That's the confrontation of this book. And the issue, Jonah's primary problem, which also exemplified the problem of the nation of Israel at the time, was defiance. Defiance. He defies God. Have you ever known exactly what God wants you to do? He has spoken clearly to you. He has showed you where he wants you to go. And yet, even though he has spoken to you clearly, and even though you know where he wants you to go, you just don't do it. Defiance. We've all been there, haven't we? Jonah powerfully and masterfully presses us with this truth. And basically, he says here that God's mission does not fail because of our defiance. God's mission does not fail because of our defiance, and I hope that you're convinced of that truth by the end of our time this morning. You see it clear as day when you look at these three verses. God's mission for Jonah, look at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And by the way, that city was known to have approximately a million people living around that region. And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah's response 
God says something clearly, his response, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now remember a few other things we need to keep in mind. Jonah is a prophet. That means, if you want to write down a simple definition, if you like to take notes, this would be a good thing to jot down. A prophet is someone who is speaking with God's authority from God's word for the good of God's people. Speaking with God's authority from God's word for the good of God's people. Now, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets did this. They accomplished this by doing what scholars refer to as foretelling and forthtelling. Foretelling and forthtelling. Now, foretelling means you're speaking of what's going to happen in the future of God's kingdom. You're revealing something that's going to happen in God's agenda that has not yet been revealed. And today, we are not foretellers. We are not foretellers. Anyone who says, I have a new revelation for you about what God is going to do in his plans, and you don't find it in here, I would run as quick as you can in the opposite direction. We are not foretellers. However, foretelling means speaking the truth of what God has done through Christ into the lives of people, speaking the truth of what God has done into the lives of people. On this side of Jesus, it means speaking the truth of Christ into the lives of people. So we are, disciples of Jesus are, forth tellers. That's what it means to share Christ, to be a prophet for Christ. I'm a forth teller. I'm not a fortune teller or a foreteller. I'm a forth teller. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that means you are too. That's what Paul writes to us in Romans chapter 10, a beautiful text where he says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That is not just for pastors, friends. That's for all of us. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So the job description of a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, is to be a forth teller, to preach with our lives and our words the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So Jonah here is called to preach, and he's not happy about it. He's not happy about what he's been told to preach, and he's not happy about who he's been told to preach to. He doesn't like either one. So what does he do? He defies God. Did you know that Jonah was the only divinely chosen prophet who ever dared to defy God? There is not a single other prophet divinely chosen in the word of God that ever went to this measure of defiance. We find other things with prophets. We find hesitation, like with Moses. We find questioning with Jeremiah. We find fear with Elijah. But only Jonah demonstrates outright defiance. And I'm guessing no one here wants to defy God. It's just kind of a working assumption. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't think he's real. Maybe you don't think it's a big deal. But for those of you who understand maybe a little bit about who he is and how immensely eternal he is and righteous and pure and holy he is, I don't think any of us here wants to defy God. So what does defiance look like? That's what I want to talk about for our 
time together this morning. It starts in a good place. Defiance starts in a good place. Defiance starts with being God's servant. Jonah knew he was God's servant and also knowing what God wants. So it starts with being God's servant and knowing what God wants. Look at verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord literally means the word of Yahweh. This isn't just anyone speaking. This is the only one speaking. This is the author, the creator, the sustainer of all things. He is the one who makes Jonah's words relevant and important because his words are not based on his own authority. They're based on God's authority. In the same way today, a preacher does not speak on his own authority. It's God's authority if it is from the word of God. And if it is not from the scriptures, I just want to share this with all of you. Feel free to take this, but this is the way I tend to kind of measure whether or not I ought to listen to a person. If it is not based on the word of God, if someone is speaking not based on the scriptures, if they're just speaking, it's simply one broken and imperfect person's subjective opinions on issues he or she could never fully understand. It ends up just being maybe social justice language or self-help language or just their opinions, somebody who lives just a few years of life with their own issues and brokenness to you. And so... Our authority is not derived in and of ourselves as communicators. And certainly, when we are sharing the gospel, it's the same way. It's derived from God himself and what he has said and what he has spoken. Now, this wasn't the first time that God's word, Yahweh's word, came to Jonah. Maybe you didn't realize that Jonah served the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of a king by the name of Jeroboam II around 780 B.C. That's when it was. This is found in 2 Kings 14. And here's what God told Jonah to preach the first time that we find him in 2 Kings. He says, go to your people, go to Israel, my people. And he says, preach this message. Preach that even though you, speaking to the Israelites, are all living in sin, and even though you are not repenting of that sin, God wants you to repent And in the meantime, God promises to expand our borders all the way back to the influence we had during the days of King Solomon. And that's what happened. Israel, although they were unrepentant, God expanded their borders. He prospered them also while they were being completely caught up in adultery. So God blessed them while they were in their idolatry. Did you know that sometimes God blesses us when we don't repent so that we'll see we aren't worthy of such a blessing so that we'll repent. Sometimes that's what he does. This is actually what Paul says in Romans chapter two. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His kindness leading to repentance. So basically... The Israelites here are thinking they're getting this message through Jonah from the Lord, and they're basically probably tempted with this thought, and this is really where they were by their actions, that we got what we wanted, we're prospering, life is good, and we still get to do whatever we want. So life is going well, and I'm doing whatever I want. Not a bad deal. Now, what do you think all that prosperity meant for Jonah and his popularity. Well, this is Prosperity Gospel 101, friends. That's how you get a huge following. 
get to preach to a people and say, it doesn't really matter whether you repent or not, even though God wants you to, you're still going to get a bunch of stuff. And they're like, sweet, this is great. And they got all this stuff. And so his popularity is through the roof. It's just through the roof. He's incredibly popular, but he said, repent of your sin, turn from your sin, confess your sin, but even before you do, God's going to bless you. But Israel never repented, even after they received the blessing. And Jonah knows that God is gracious and merciful and loving, but that he is also jealous and just and righteous. He knew God sent prophets to Israel for 150 years 150 years asking them to repent of their sin. But even while everything looked good from the outside, the people were moving further away from God. They were going in the opposite direction. It was getting worse. And Jonah, the patriot, he loved his nation, the nationalist. He knew that God would one day deal with his people's unfaithfulness. Now, in the midst of all of this, God sends word to Jonah. And says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. You have to know that Nineveh, this is very important, tuck this away. If you like to take notes, it's another thing to write down. That Nineveh is part of the Assyrian Empire. The greatest city, perhaps at the time, within the Assyrian Empire. And God makes it clear what he wants Jonah to do. Get up, go to Nineveh, and preach repentance. Now, why is Jonah so bothered by this? Well, because he's a prophet. And I shared with you the definition of a prophet, someone who is speaking with God's authority from God's word for the good of whom, friends? Okay, a few of you have been listening. God's people. Remember, you can, you can speak back. It helps me know that you're engaged and that you're tracking with me this morning. So the Assyrians, are they God's people? Oh, conflict, conflict in the church. Well, that's not unusual, but no, they're not. The Israelites are God's people. The Assyrians in the Old Testament are not God's chosen people. They couldn't be God's people, right? Elijah and Elisha preached to the Israelites. Amos and Hosea, prophets, preached to the Israelites. Jonah's thinking, this isn't in my job description, This is not what I signed up for. This is not what prophets do. Prophets go to Israel, not to other nations. God wouldn't send me there. God would not extend his mercy to them. And God says, I am sending you there because there, the Ninevites, evil has come up before me. Now, does that sound familiar? If you read the scriptures, if you make your way ever through the Old Testament, that phrase should kind of put up a flag in your mind. Evil has come up before me. Have we ever read those words before somewhere? That's somewhere else. That's Genesis 18, verse 20. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against another city, Sodom and Gomorrah, is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come up to me. And if not, I will know. And what did God do? Did God send Abraham to Sodom and Gomorrah to preach repentance? No. He sent Abraham to Sodom and Gomorrah to get his family member Lot and escape because God had come to the end of his mercy. They had no more opportunity for repentance. Now, Nineveh was similar, brutal, violent, wicked. 
So God says to Abraham and Lot, get up and get out before I go and destroy the place. Now, now God says, get up, go to Nineveh and preach repentance. Now, Jonah's not dumb. He knows the word of God. He knows it through and through. He knows that preaching repentance means the people in Nineveh might do what, friends? Repent. Repent. Can you guys just say that out loud with me? They might repent. They might repent. Well, he doesn't want that. And he knows that if the people repent, then what will God do if they repent? Forgive them. Extend his mercy to them. He'll follow through with what he promised he would do, regardless of their history. And he can't come to grips with the reality that God would show his mercy to the Ninevites. So he gets angry, angry at God's mercy. He's not happy about what God has told him to say and whom God has told him to say this to. Maybe you're not happy with the message that God has given you. Maybe God has said to your heart through the scriptures, through prayer, through his word, he said, you finally need to go and offer forgiveness. And you're thinking, I don't like the message and I don't like who I have to deliver it to. I don't want to and they don't deserve it. So I'm not going to do it. Could Jonah here be confused about what God has asked him to do? Is the message confusing? It's one verse long. (laughs) It's very clear that there's no ambiguity here. Jonah knows exactly what God wants him to do. Defiance starts with being God's servant and knowing what God wants. So what does he do? Verse 3, but Jonah, when a sentence starts with that conjunction, it's never good. When my children come up to me with that face they get, and I ask them to do something, and the next words out of their mouths are, but, Dad, I cut them off at the pass. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to go any further in this conversation. I've kind of spoken. I expect them to do the same. I'm kind of a hypocrite because I don't always follow what people and God says to me, but I expect it of them. And But, Dad, but God... He says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He runs the other way. He rebels. He defies God. Now, you need to understand this as well. Nineveh is a three-month trip over land. It's about 550 or 600 miles away from Joppa. Tarshish is the exact opposite direction, 2,500 miles away. 2,500 miles in the exact opposite direction. And it took at that time a year to get there. God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, I'm going on a year-long cruise the other way. (laughs) It's exactly what he chose to do. So he's headed in the opposite direction. How many times, as Jonah is going down, it says, towards Joppa, down to the port, would he have had second thoughts 
of what he was doing. How many times would he have thought, man, I, I don't know if I should do this. God spoke to me pretty clearly. I'm not sure I should really keep walking down this road. I don't think I should keep walking down this path. Maybe I should turn around and do what he says. But he kept walking and he kept walking. And he starts to see open doors. Lo and behold. Oh, look. He gets to the port and wouldn't you know it? There's a ship ready to go. And can you believe it? There's a ticket still available. They're not sold out. There's still a ticket to get on this cruise ship. And guess what? He even has the money to buy it. Well, were Jonah the typical American evangelical, he would have most certainly concluded everything came together just as I'd hoped. God must be in this. This is the hand of God's confirmation. God has opened every door. There's the ship. It's going here. I have the money. This is God telling my heart that what I'm doing is okay. Warning. Warning. We can always twist the will of God to fit our desires. Even our sins. Warning. If your heart is set to run from God, then you will most certainly find every means necessary to do so. It will look like every door is just flying open. When our hearts are set to run in the opposite direction, that's what happens. All the doors fly open. This is not God's provision for you. Please hear that this morning, friends. Thoughts of lust, of greed, of relationships, of addiction, of escape, of appetite, of approval, of ambition. Defiance always takes us farther than we thought we would ever go, and it takes us there faster than we ever thought we'd go. It takes us farther than we ever thought we'd go, and it takes us there faster than we ever thought possible. What is Jonah's end game? What's he hoping here? Look at verse 3 again. He rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship. So he paid the ferry, went on board to go with them to this place away from the presence of the Lord. If you skip down to verse 10, now he's on the ship. Now there's a great storm. Now the ship is beginning to sink. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. We might think, well, what do you mean? He can't run from God. God's everywhere. That's impossible. Jonah knows this. He understands this probably better than you and I do. So what does it mean to go away from the presence of the Lord? Elijah said something similar. He said, I stand in the presence of the Lord. Gabriel said the same thing. I stand in the presence of the Lord. Standing in the presence of the Lord, it's an idiom. It's an idiom, it's a phrase, and it means I am in the Lord's service. I'm ready to do what he's asked me to do. I'm standing in his presence, ready to serve. That's what it means. So when he say he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord, what is he saying here? He's saying he is refusing to serve God's purposes. In other words, he's saying, I quit my job. Find somebody else. I'm not interested. And now we finally see the attitude of defiance. It's our second point this morning. We finally come to it here. I know what God wants, but I'm not going to do it. 
I know what God wants, but I'm not going to do it. Did you notice that the author says the word Tarshish three times? Why does he keep repeating it? I mean, look at the verse again, verse three. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish. I mean, doesn't he understand we read the city the first time? Why does he say it three times? It's for emphasis, friends, because God said Nineveh, he says, Nineveh, and Josiah is going to Tarshish. To Tarshish. To Tarshish. Can you believe it? That's what he's saying through his words. He's letting us feel the weight of what is happening here, of the, the level of Jonah's defiance. It's like God saying to us, I want you to go to Tehran, Iran. And we instead book our cruise to Hawaii. <laughs> to Hawaii. To Hawaii. You see? Tarshish. I'm God's servant. I know what God wants. I will not do it. But why doesn't he go? Racism? Yes. But something more is going on here. Think about this. I told you that Nineveh is part of the empire of Assyria. And if the Assyrians repent and God forgives them, and the Israelites do not repent and continue in their idolatry, then Assyria is a big player. And he knows, Jonah knows that they're a threat. What if the people he preaches to end up being the very people that destroy his people? Well, now is he going to stand with his people? Or is he going to stand with God? See the choice he had? Will he be a patriot or a prophet? What's his answer? Tarshish. 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 I'm God's servant. I know what God wants. I will not do it. The cost is too high. The threat is too much. There are too many what ifs. So Jonah defied God. And so do you. And so do I. I don't know if you knew it this morning, but we are all Jonah. We are all Jonah. If I preach this, Father, if I preach this whole thing, then maybe, maybe the church won't grow. If I really enact church discipline, then people might leave. If, if I really am going to follow Jesus, then I'm going to have to give up something that I really want. I might not get to sleep with my girlfriend or my boyfriend, or I might have to move out for a time, or I might have to submit some things in my life to God. I, I, I'm not sure. This is for kids. When God says, obey your parents, this is for husbands. God says he's spoken, he's made it clear. He says, unconditionally love and sacrifice for your wives. 
as Christ did for the church and gave himself up for her. This is for wives. God says, love and respect your husbands. This is God speaking into our work ethic. This is God speaking into our forgiving spirit. This is God speaking into our words, into our money. This is God speaking about baptism. This is God speaking about our commitment to the church. This is God speaking about our commitment to the great commission to make disciples. I set you up earlier. I said... I'm guessing no one here wants to defy God, but we already have. I am Jonah, and you are Jonah. We are Jonah. I'm God's servant. I know what God wants, and sometimes I just don't do it. We are defiant, and so is everyone everywhere for all time. But let me close with this. Everyone everywhere has been defiant for all time, all but one. Do you know where Jonah was from? Jonah had his hometown three miles northeast of a little town called Nazareth in the area of Galilee. 780 years later, another prophet came from Galilee, even though the Apostle John tells us that the religious leaders, the experts at the time, didn't even remember that that's where Jonah was from. Because they said, has any prophet ever come from Galilee? They'd forgotten about Jonah. And yet here came another prophet from Galilee. And this Galilean prophet says in Matthew chapter 12, behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus always knew who he was for. Jesus never turned in the opposite direction. Jesus was always determined to go to Calvary. God the Father said to him, go to the world that we created. Go preach repentance. Go preach to the very ones that will reject you. Go preach to the very ones that will defy you. Go preach to the very ones that will kill you. And did Jesus ever buy his ticket? As he was walking, he said, Father, is this it? Is this, is this really the only way? And the Father would confirm yes, and he went. He did it. He came, he preached, he died, and he gained victory over every act of defiance. He won the victory over Jonah's sin and your sin and my sin because he knew he was God's servant. He knew what God had told him to do, and he did it. That's worth more than one amen this morning, friends. And because of the greater Galilean prophet, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be Jonah any longer. You don't have to be Jonah anymore. God's mission does not fail because of our defiance. Jesus came to overcome our defiance, and we can live in his victory through faith. So my question is very simple. It's really twofold this morning. Have you received him? Have you received him? Have you understood that that in our lives, at some point, we come to these conclusions that, that God has clearly spoken I know what he has said. I know what he wants. I will not do it. And because of that act of defiance that creates separation, 
But because of one act of obedience, that brings salvation to everyone who would believe. Have you responded by faith to Jesus? If you're still grabbing your ticket and running off to Tarshish, eventually you'll hit a storm. Eventually you'll hit some issues and you'll say, this isn't where I thought I was headed. Maybe this morning it's time to turn around. What is the thing in your life that you know God is calling you to do, but right now you are in direct defiance to him? Jesus died. This is the encouragement of this message so that we did not have to carry the weight of our own defiance. Jesus died so we could carry out what God's called us to do. He conquered our defiance and we can walk in his victory and he empowers us to do what God has spoken. You have that ability. You have that strength through faith in Christ. So where are you this morning? Where are you? Maybe it's a little different than you thought the book of Jonah was, huh? Maybe the message isn't quite just as simple as Jonah and a big fish. Maybe there's more going on than what we see in coloring books. Maybe there's something that God's speaking to you. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Father, first I pray for any of those here today and they know because they've been prompted by your spirit through your word, through your voice today, speaking to their heart, that they have been on a pathway of defiance, running to Tarshish, knowing that you have stated, that you have said that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ, and yet they have not submitted their lives to Jesus Christ. I pray in these moments they would see, they would have eyes to see, that, Father, when we turn to Christ and submit to Christ, yes, we receive forgiveness. Yes, we receive empowerment. Yes, we receive victory over sin, death, and the grave, just as Jesus did. But through all of this, Father, we are brought back into relationship with you, and it's the only way. So, Father, I pray, even in these moments, that there are hearts submitting to you now. And Father, for all of us, in those moments of defiance, we know what you have said, we know what you want us to do, and we have stood and simply said, I will not do it. I pray, Father, that even now in our heart of hearts, we would say, Father, forgive us, forgive me, I'm Jonah. But Father, thank you that I'm also Christ's, that I am his child through faith. And so, Father, help me to turn from my defiance and turn to you because I know that your plans are for the good. They're for the good of your kingdom, the good of the world, and ultimately for my good. So, Father, I submit my defiance to you. And Father, we can leave this place encouraged, yes, challenged, but ultimately encouraged because we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that every act of defiance that we have ever done has been covered by the cross of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Your name is to be exalted above every name so that at your name, every knee will bow and tongue confess that you are Christ the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.